Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiecka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiecka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiecka. Welcome. I'm so glad you can join us on Mission Evolution, where we bring the latest knowledge from today's leading experts to support your evolutionary process. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll consider searching for soul, the journey inward. So much of who we think we are is simply what we've been conditioned to be from outside influences. Yet many ancient teachings indicate within each of us is a power beyond our imagining. How can we see beyond our conditioning and uncover our authenticity? How can we access our true nature and evolve into our potential? With us this hour to explore the journey inward is Catherine Shainberg. Catherine is the author of Kabbalah of Light, Ancient Practices to Guide the Imagination and Illuminate the Soul. She's an internationally renowned transpersonal psychologist, lecturer, teacher, and visionary. Grounded in the Kabbalah of Light, she created the School of Images, where her work integrates timeless wisdom with modern Western traditions to catalyze creative manifestation at all levels in all areas of life. Her website, schoolofimages.com. Catherine, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you. This is such an interesting topic. We should have an awful lot of fun with it. Um, I hope so. <laughs> Catherine, I know it's been a while, but where did you where did you get your PhD? In in the United States, in the College of Art Walls in California, um, and it was called the International College. It changed its name at the last moment, and I'm just now wondering what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it was it was online. Uh, it was classes? online, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And um, what's the difference between a psychologist and a transpersonal psychologist? Well, a transpersonal psychologist is a title that's given to somebody who is also working with spirit and soul. Ah, I, you know, I never knew that difference. Okay, yeah. so when you're dealing with the more esoteric, you're you're a transpersonal psychologist. Yes. I mean, psychology in general uh, deals with everyday issues, but a transpersonal psychologist is uh, hopefully dealing with spirit issues, soul issues. Right? In addition to the emotional and mental yes. issues. Yeah, that that always we have to deal with the emotional. That is the first level of any work that is done because it's kind of blocks the access to spirit. And it's what's interesting is the um, um, excuse me. What's interesting is the um, um, transpersonal aspect. You know, when you're just regular psychology, oftentimes they call it emotional work, but it tends to be um, mental, trying to figure things out with your mind versus really getting into the emotions. Sometimes has that been your experience, and how does yours differ from that? Well, I definitely think that we have to go to the emotional and the emotional is a body language. So um, it makes it difficult to deal with it mentally. 
because you can explain or be a behavioral, uh, give behavioral uh, tips, but that's not going to deal with the deeper issue of why I always get angry or why I'm so frightened of elevators or this is a subconscious issue. Gotcha. And the subconscious cannot be uh, dealt with through the, through the mental work. It has to be dealt with directly. And of course, that's exactly the topic for today. So yes. um, how did you first, I understand you work with the Kabbalah. How did you first become interested in the Kabbalah of light? Well, actually, I wasn't interested in the Kabbalah. I was interested in images. I was always interested in how images are going to affect people. So um, I have uh, um, two MAs in, in uh, art history from the Sorbonne and from the School of the Louvre. And they were, I studied that because I was interested in seeing that if I looked at a Matisse, and I took away the lemon from the painting, the painting fell apart and people felt differently. If I looked at the, the beggars of Bruegel, they're falling into a hole on the right, but if I turn the picture, uh, they're not falling anymore, they're doing something else. So if we move the image, we change the inside. And that's what I was interested in. But I couldn't so, find anybody in the psychological field that was doing that when I was studying. So working with imagery to access the subconscious, is that, is that what you're talking about? Absolutely, because the subconscious talks in images. The subconscious talks in sensations, smells, tastes, uh, uh, colors, um, touching all that is part of your body language and we have an ancient brain that is much more ancient than our neocortex and that deals with the world in experience in sensations in images so that if i'm a, a tiger in the jungle and i see a particular shadow moving in a particular way then my memory of that comes together and I know this is dangerous or this may be the prey that I'm looking for. So this old uh, way of thinking is, is very powerful and, and we have lost access to it. It, as I'm listening to you speak, um, it starts to make sense to me why a lot of your shamanic practices uses, used imagery and dream images and metaphor. Right. Uh, they're accessing the same part of the brain, aren't they? Absolutely. I actually um, very strongly believe that there is no transformation without accessing the subconscious. Makes perfect sense to me. Right. So how, what is the Kabbalah of light and how does this weave in here with, with what we've been talking about? Well, um, I came to it through a dreaming process, meaning that for, for all the years of my life since I was a small child, I was dreaming, I was creating images, I was helping people um, by sending them images that I thought would be helpful to them. And uh, I was also hearing many messages and at some point in my studies in the Sorbonne, I kept on hearing, you've got to go to the Middle East. So I went to the Middle East and I traveled all over 
but not understanding why I was doing that. And then um, I heard very loud and clear the inner voice saying, you've got to go to Israel. No idea why, because I wasn't Jewish and I wasn't interested. But I ended up in Israel during the Yom Kippur War. And uh, soon after that, I met some French people. And in the course of a conversation, they mentioned the name of a socialite in Jerusalem, who is the center of French, uh, um, of the French community in Jerusalem. And when they said her name, Colette, my head exploded into light. So I knew I had to meet this woman. I had no idea who she was. Um, I moved to Jerusalem to meet her. And uh, I did go to see her. She was sitting in a garden. She was a very, very queen-like lady. And she said to me, um, what do you want? Which was very frightening for a 28-year-old. What do you want? <laughs> and strangely enough, I heard myself saying, I want you to teach me how images move people. It was so amazing because I knew nothing about her. And she said to me, I've waited for you a long time. So that's how my apprenticeship began with one of the only women Kabbalists in Israel at the time. So, so she, never, she never talked to me about Kabbalah or Judaism until some inner waking dream of mine started to say, take a look, take a look at Kabbalah, take a look at Judaism. And it was so familiar. It was like coming home. And that's how I got to Kabbalah, not because I was looking for it, but because it was in my soul, I believe. So how does the Kabbalah of light um, help us today with imagery, with accessing our uh, subconscious? Well, when you think of Kabbalah, most people think of something very complicated, very mysterious, very hidden. But I believe that the, the original Kabbalah was looking inward. And that's what Colette was teaching. She comes from very old, she came from very ancient lineage, a family lineage of 800 years in which they taught how to gaze inward. Now we do that when we dream at night. We sleep, we look in and images appear, right? Light appears at first and then images. So, um, this is the original Kabbalah, I strongly believe. Um, so that the prophets, the, the great patriarchs, they walked in the desert and they had uh, waking dreams, if you want, out of the empty space, forms appeared and they created their whole uh, cosmology, if you want, from their waking dreams and from their night dreams. So now you um, uh, mentioned that you blend modern Western traditions with the uh, teachings from the Kabbalah. Which ones do you use and how do they blend? How does that work? Well, the best way to put this is that everything that I do is infused with the, the teachings of Kabbalah. But I don't tell my students. I have them... I, I write short, short exercises that plunge them into the subconscious. They're called sapphire imagery exercises. 
and they create a, a slight little jolt that pushes the mental aside so that a window opens up through the questioning and the subconscious then gathers itself and produces the images in response to the question. So it's so, done, it's very, very fast. So once you have accessed the images, does it take interpretation of them then to understand what's being said by the subconscious? <laughs> yes and no. I mean, I would say no right away. And, and I, I actually do say no because the issue is not the interpretation, the issue is the, the experience. Once you've had the experience, the experience might be unpleasant. Somebody is trying to force its way, its way into your house. And so one of the, the works that is so important in, in, the, in what I do is called repair or amelioration of the dream or repair of the dream, which means that if somebody is trying to force his way into my house, I would then go back into the dream. I would help the student go back into the dream with protections and then open the door enough if they, uh, if they feel uh, safe to find out what that person wants. And we've had amazing results by doing that. Once you, you respond to the necessity of the dream, then um, things change immediately for the person. And this is why I say it cannot work with the mentor. It has to work with the experience. Because if I have the experience that I've opened the door to somebody trying to force his way in and found out that that person was really trying to help me, I'm not so, going to feel so bad about it anymore. So how, how then does the uh, conscious change once you've gone through this experience? How does it, does it, does it change something in the mind? Does it reframe things for us? Totally. Let's say that um, you've always had a bad experience with somebody and then um, you've done this work and suddenly the experiences with that person have shifted completely. So because of the experience, you feel differently. It's not something you think about. It's something that you feel and experience that is going to be different. And then it changes the way you think. It changes the way you think. So it's totally organic. It's not something um, uh, passive, if you want, right? It's not something mental that you try to apply as a Band-Aid to your problem. The problem so, disappears. I'd like to clarify something, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Um, what's the difference between the subconscious and the unconscious? <laughs> Interesting. Um, this was a, an issue that Freud had, and he was talking about the unconscious, then he switched to the subconscious, then he went back to the unconscious. Um, and most people today use the word unconscious. Unfortunately, we're dealing with the with this subterranean program. If you put unconscious into it, it's going to become unconscious because that's your program. So I believe that it's subconscious, it's sub rosa, if you want, and we can tap into it. If I say to it, you're unconscious, it's going to go unconscious. 
Gotcha. I understand now. So you're saying that the subconscious is accessible. It's below our regular consciousness, but right. unconscious is locked down tight. You can't get in there. Well, there, to my to my mind, there is no sub unconscious. Okay. So there all is of us mystery, but there's no unconscious. We are unconscious when we're not really connected to to the incredible vitality and creativity of our inner experiencing mind. So right. how, how much influence does our subconscious have on the way we're living our lives? So we may not be aware of it, but how is it influencing our reality and how we live our lives? Well, according to social psychologists and their studies, 95% of uh, all of our um, activities are uh, governed by the subconscious, which and is from, huge. From the, we're just about out of time in the segment, but yeah. from the example you gave me, that means that our subconscious is governing us, but we don't really know our subconscious and we might have erroneous conclusions that we're running on if we don't know what's in our subconscious. That's true. I mean, the subconscious will take the decisions for us, right? Now, but let's say that, it, think of it as a, a computer program. So let's say that the computer program has a glitch. The glitch could be a trauma. Uh, my father always humiliated me, so that's my trauma. And every time I am expecting that I'm going to be humiliated. I'm actually calling that to myself subconsciously, right? Because that's the program. It's not going to change if I talk about it, but it is going to change if I capture the voice of the father and dissolve the voice or get rid of the voice. Suddenly, there's quiet. Suddenly, I'm in a meadow and the birds are chirping. And that will change my relationship to that old pattern sounds like it starts to break up the pattern and uh, offer new opportunities exactly it, it frees the life force the life force is held up by many uh, stagnant places in us and that's the first work that one has to do even in terms of of uh, grow, uh, spiritual growth you've got to have cleared that up um, and again, we're just about out of time in this segment. But yeah. when we come back, I would like to look at what causes uh, things to go into the unconscious and then remain stuck there. And once that happens, how much of us are we losing to something that we don't have any control over anymore? It's so, experience. It's shock. Well, we'll go into it more on the other side of a commercial break. Kathy and I will return shortly. So don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution, www.missionevolution.org. Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. With us this hour discussing finding the soul within is Catherine Shainberg. Her website, schoolofimages.com. Catherine, we were getting ready to look at what causes things to go from our conscious into our subconscious. And um, if they're locked in our subconscious, then we don't have ac access to them. So what, what causes it in the first place? Let's start there. Well, generally, it's a trauma. 
it, or it's an experience. So um, where the whole body is involved. So let's say an accident that would create a great trauma that somebody humiliating you at school would create a trauma. So these are very strong experiences, emotional experiences, if they're not dealt with right away, can become uh, blockages in the flow of the imagination and so, can stay that way as long as we don't do something about them. So you said it has to be a body experience, but how does being humiliated uh, create affect the body? How is, how is that a body experience? Well, the sound of the voice, the, the, the constriction in the body, when somebody is telling you something difficult, um, we have emotions. Emotions are body uh, reactions to what is happening on the outside. Now, if that's not cleared and uh, diffused and cleared out, it can become a pattern in the subconscious. It can so, become an image, if you want, either a memory or so the memory of the little girl who's humiliated by the father who slaps her in front of her friends, or it can become a, an image that the subconscious creates around that experience. So then let me see if I understand this. Then that whole experience, because it's, the child can't reconcile it, so right. then that whole experience becomes encapsulated and almost like locked in a time capsule. So exactly. however the child viewed it, whether how, you know, with her limited ability of understanding, because she's a child, however she viewed it, that's what's locked in our subconscious. Right. And it is encapsulated in time. It's as if um, it just stays that way, even when you're 60 years old, if you haven't done anything to clear it. What happens to our ability to prosper in the world when we start having so much of ourselves locked up? Say a person's had quite a bit of trauma, never dealt with any of it. What, what symptoms do we have? How does, how does that manifest in our world? Well, it'll manifest in the area of the trauma, right? It won't manifest, let's say you could be very, very successful, but you never have a, an intimate relationship because the, the trauma was at the level of intimacy, right? So then that would be blocked. The rest could be working perfectly well. So if, if we have, not if, I probably all of us have a certain amount yeah. of these, um, and they are encapsulated in the form that we perceive them as children, are we then not subconsciously operating as a child? We are. We definitely are. And you see grown people acting very childishly, um, they can't even Im understand why they're behaving that way. They're just kind of along for the ride and watch themselves doing it and go, what, why what? is this happening again? Exactly, right. Okay. So there are not only uh, traumas of one's own um, history, but family traumas too. So you're saying like the family traumas are passed down through DNA? I believe so. 
there's a lot of evidence that way that's cropping yeah. up right now with epigenetics and everything else that, right, right. that and if you look at the ancient schools and the ancient um you know beliefs um shamanism all sorts of things like that say the 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 sins of the fathers will be visited upon the to seven well, generations that's what the bible says and yes, it exactly. is exactly that way in fact there's a french school of psychology that's called psychogenealogy and it's all about the genealogy and the patterns of the family now what i don't think they understood but this clear for me from the work I do with dreaming is that there are repetitive dreams in the family. So um, let's say that the, the great grandmother had breast cancer and died at 42. Then the grandmother did the same at 42 and the mother and the sisters. It's, it's a, I'm, I'm simply simplifying, but it's a pattern. Now we can deal with the pattern very simply by recognizing it's a repetitive dream. And once we know that, we enter into the dream and repair it. So once we do something like that, now we're in into the dream, we're repairing damage that's been passed down through the DNA. Mm -hmm. Does that obvious, I would suspect that'll change things then for our descendants. Totally. How about for our ancestors? This is a question I've always asked myself. The question is, is time, right? Is there time or do we live in a, in a idea that there's time? We definitely live in the idea that there's linear time, but in the subconscious, there's no linear time at all. There's no chronology. As evidenced so, by the fact that part of us in the subconscious is living in history. Absolutely. It, it has the, the, the sages of the, the Hebrew Bible say something very interesting. There is no chronology in the Bible. And what, are they, what they're really saying is that it comes from the subconscious, where it's a popuri, it's a huge cauldron of experiences, um, chaotic experiences. And when we ask the question, then these chaotic experiences just pop up into a configuration that helps us to clear or to understand what is happening, right? So, Catherine, how can a person tell if they have an awful lot of themselves locked up in their subconscious? What are the symptoms, the outward symptoms? Patterns, repetitive patterns. And that's the biggest thing to take a look at um, because, um, again, you'll have the grandmother, the great-grandmother, the mother, the sisters are all seeming to do the same thing. So when you see a pattern in the family, that's your first sign that there's a blocked movement of the subconscious. The subconscious is like a great river. It has to run all the time. It can't be fixed because it's a creative, um, it's creative all the time. It's, it manifests in many creative ways. If it's fixed, then um, something on the outside is gonna start to show disorder. So uh, on the individual level, not just the family level, but on the individual level, when we suddenly, not even suddenly, but over time, find that our creativity is diminishing, ergo, we can assume that we have some blockages in the subconscious? Absolutely. The and subconscious is, is like a fountain. It just 
once you learn to tap into it and you trust it, then it's like a fountain. You never know what's going to come up when you trust it. You ask the question, it comes up and you speak from there. You speak from the images that come up for you. So is this something, um, give me a little idea about how, how a person does learn to walk in their subconscious so that we can access these um, blockages and process them. There are two ways that, the two great ways to do this. The first is, of course, your night dreams. Take them seriously, write them down, and um, take a look at them in the morning. Where are the patterns in the dream? Is the patterns are already telling us what the dream is talking about. And then where's the necessity? Even if I don't understand my dream, if I respond to the necessity, a dialogue of cleansing and, and uh, revitalizing will happen. I don't understand what you mean by necessity. Would you help me there? Well, yes. Um, let's say that in the dream, I have a dream and the toilets are clogged. That's a necessity we all understand in everyday life. We need to clean the toilet. We need to unblock the, the, the toilet, right? Um, necessities can be, there's a closed door. I'm walking, but there's always this closed door that kind of bothers me. That would be a necessity. So the necessity is finding your way through the closed door. Yes. Okay, I understand now. Yeah. So are you an advocate of really journaling your dreams every morning? Absolutely. There's yeah. a lot of dream books out there, um, dream interpretation. Are they useful or do they, they throw you off, off course? From my point of view, it's impossible um, to have dream dictionaries. It doesn't mean a thing. What's important is this is the dream that's offered this is the story. We've made it clear, made sure that everybody can see it visually if we're in a group. And then where are the patterns? And then so, it's so like a diamond, than... right? You can look at it in many different ways. And so in a group, people will become secondary dreamers of the dream and tell, well, this is what struck me as a secondary dreamer. So if you've got 10 people telling you what struck you, you begin to have a, a much clearer view of what this story is trying to tell you. So this can work in a group or, or say if you have a close confidant that also understands working with imagery, right. if you sit down and share your experience, share your journal, you can give each other insight into this? Yeah, I, I think it's important to have a dream companion um, in my classes, we have the group work, but all of them have a companion. Now, the companion could be the, the husband, the spouse, right, um, who they like to share the dreams. Um, but it could be a friend that you call up every morning and you chat about your dreams. <laughs> right. So uh, outside of the dream work, then what other methods do you use to access the subconscious? what I call sapphire imagery, which is a kind of aerobic of, of the soul. It's many, many exercises, very short, takes a minute. You close your eyes, I give you the induction. It opens up a window into the subconscious. I'm sorry, let's back up. What's an induction? Yeah. An induction is um, see, feel, and, and know. Or... So, so you suggest something for them to I... see, feel, or know? 
it's yes, but I don't suggest what they are to see. I suggest what the framing of it is. So let's say, um, close your eyes and see through a telescope. What do you see? Right? So I'm not telling them what to see. I may create the frame for them to jump in and see something. That sounds a little bit like um, hypnosis as well. There's always a little bit of hypnosis, but the difference is this is a self-hypnosis that takes three seconds, breathe out three times from three to one. And that puts you in a, a frame of meditation, deep meditation. So it's basically an altered state. An altered state, yeah. Okay. And that's been used for millennia by different practices to access spiritual information. Right. So how is the spiritual information versus just subconscious information? Is there a difference there? I always describe it as an ocean. So you've got your conscious mind, which should be the sky. Then you have the ocean, the surface of which is filled with garbage. And it's true. The sea is filled with garbage, right? And then if we clear the garbage, we see underneath. And underneath is your soul. Mm. And accessing the soul, um, there's a whole work to be done in accessing first the, the seeing your soul, seeing your soul's mission, and then really working with the soul. Once the, all the traumas have been cleared and the, the, the water becomes clear, then um, it's a matter of becoming more and more trustworthy of what comes up from the subconscious. So then what comes up from the subconscious is coming from spirit versus your patterns and damage. Exactly. Ah, I understand now. Yeah. So is when you start and you say clear all your trauma, um, I would assume you mean clear the majority or, or a large portion because, boy, that's a big calling, isn't it, to try to clear it all? Well, you can't because it doesn't work that way. It's like an onion. So you have many layers to an onion. And this is why I think this work is so important and, and helpful. It doesn't try to force you to clear everything. It's what you present today. What your night dream presents, for example, person comes in to, to sit with me and tells me a dream. And the dream is already telling me what does the psyche wants to deal with. So now is that, Catherine, is that driven by your intention, whether it's conscious or unconscious? So what comes up to be cleared, is that driven by what you're intending for your life and what stands between you and that intention? Yes and no. I mean, if you haven't done any clearing, it's the the body, the, the body, right? The body subconscious mind is going to show you all of the all of the traumas, right? And then after that, um, you begin to see what the real mission of your life is. Then um, the dreaming is going to show you the way, not you, right? So it so sounds you like follow the dreaming. So becoming introspective, it starts to give you access to a whole new level, doesn't it? Whole new level. Kabbalah means to surrender. Hmm. 
And this is what it's about. It's you surrender to what is offered up to you. So it's like a revelation. I look in, I'm asking, uh, let's say, where, where is God? And an image comes. It's going to be different for everybody, of course. That's a very simplistic question, but um, the more you, you, you ponder your inner life, the more you ask the questions, the clearer and quicker the answers are going to come. So, Catherine, we're reaching about the time in the program that I yeah. love to ask. Catherine, what is your mission? <laughs> My mission has been to teach people this work because I think that it's the quickest work for transformation. And we desperately need to transform to remind ourselves that we have another, another whole uh, huge uh, treasure that we're not using. We're using our right, uh, you know, our neocortex, our logical brain. We're using it very strongly, but we have lost all the imagination work that was so prevalent before the 16th, 17th century, right? So we need to come back to that. We need the conscious and the subconscious to begin to dialogue together. This is, I believe, the only way that we're going to solve the issues that are coming up today. As more and more of us do this, and we are just about out of time, but as yeah. more and more of us do this, what is your vision for the future? Well, I do believe that we're going to be more and more connected to our inside and to companions that are doing the same thing and that we are going to be taught how to, how to save our world how to clear our world, how to save our world. And um, we have to do it now. We have to do what I call inner action as opposed to outer action. Outer action is being done all over the place, but the inner action that transforms consciousness so that we can deal with, let's say, climate change, it has to begin on the inside. Well, without the inner action, you don't have the wisdom or the vision to deal or choose what you're going to do outwardly, yes? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, this, is, this has been wonderful visiting with you. And where can people find your book? I think everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, most of the book, uh, uh, you know. Perfect. Well, yeah. unfortunately, Catherine, we are out of time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Our guest this hour has been Catherine Shainberg, the author of Kabbalah of Light, Ancient Practices to Ignite the Imagination and Illuminate the Soul. Her website, schoolofimages.com. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka. For more information or to enjoy past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Please. Be sure to join us right here next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our rapidly evolving world.